Welcome and thanks for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. To learn more about Community Christian Church, visit us online at cccsterling.org. Today's message comes from Pastor Tony Ria. Once again, good morning. Welcome to Community Christian Church. It's so good to have you here this morning. 27 years ago this month, in October 1991, the East Coast of the United States experienced the perfect storm. The storm literally stretched for thousands of miles all the way from the Caribbean to Canada. The satellite image of the perfect storm revealed a massive 2,000 mile wide whirlpool that completely dwarfed the banks of the North Atlantic. It was by far the most incredible storm ever tracked by the National Weather Service. And here's how it happened. Three totally different weather systems or three separate bodies of energy all came together in the exact same place at the exact same time and they exploded with deadly force. First, an innocent looking low pressure system formed over the Great Lakes of Michigan and Indiana just like it does countless times during the year. And this low pressure system followed its typical path moving from west to east. Secondly, an ice-driven, high-pressure cold front came drifting down from Canada. And these two systems, the low pressure over the Great Lakes and the high-pressure cold front, they met together just outside of Boston, and when they converged together, they created an extremely dangerous weather atmosphere in and of themselves. Add to that a late-season hurricane racing up the east coast north from Bermuda. This out-of-control hurricane, called Hurricane Grace, if you can believe that, slammed directly into the eye of the storm already raging in Boston. I mean, it hit the center of the bullseye. And when those three systems exploded, there was unparalleled velocity. Meteorologists called the perfect storm the most deadly force of nature ever seen or captured on video. The storm peak lasted over 48 hours. It produced sustained winds of 140 miles per hour. Ocean waves were measured at 90 feet high, 9-0. And when those waves crashed into the East Coast, they decimated hundreds of homes and businesses. There was loss of possessions, loss of property. There was the loss of the Andrea Gale, if you saw the movie, and there was loss of life. You see, that, that's what storms do. Storms cause damage. And storms create problems. Storms disrupt lives. And there's a lot of fear and panic associated with storms, even when you have Jesus in your boat. Did you hear me? Even when you're trusting God and you're doing your very best to serve the Lord, bad storms are just no fun at all. And if you don't believe me, ask the disciples of Jesus after they encountered a storm in Matthew chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. And as you might expect, we're going to preview or look at that story this morning. Mark chapter 4. 
beginning with verse 35. As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let us cross over to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind. But soon or suddenly, a fierce storm came up. What kind of storm? A fierce storm. High waves were breaking into the boat, and the boat began to fill with water. Now Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on the cushion. The disciples woke him up shouting, not speaking in their inside voices or quietly, shouting, teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, peace be still. Suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. And then Jesus asked them, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And the disciples were absolutely terrified and they asked each other, who is this man that even the wind and the waves obey him? Okay, here in this account we learn that the disciples of Jesus were absolutely or completely terrified. And I want you to keep in mind that these were seasoned fishermen. They knew their way around a boat. In fact, for the most part, they lived on the Sea of Galilee. It's where they did most of their work. But the storm that they encountered was a deadly storm. And the wind was blowing, the waves were beating and coming into the boat. And these disciples were so afraid, they actually used the D word. They said, Jesus, don't you care that we're going to drown? In other words, they thought they were going to die. This wasn't just a low-grade or garden-variety kind of storm. This was a life-threatening storm. And immediately, they gave way to fear and panic. And again, that's what storms do. Storms take us by surprise. And storms can paralyze us in a matter of moments. Storms create a whole lot of trouble for us. And if you remember with me, during his teaching, Jesus said on many occasions, but on this one occasion, he said, in this world, you are going to have trouble. Who's going to have trouble? Yeah. How many of you are you? We're all yous. Why all you? You and you and you and you and you. We all face storms. No exceptions. We all encounter. We all experience. We all go through very difficult and tough seasons in our lives. Eight years ago in December of 2010, I woke up on a Friday morning with a strange feeling in my upper body. Every time I took a breath, which is often, <laughs> I felt it. And I thought I must be coming down with some kind of a virus or an upper respiratory infection. And since the coming Sunday was the day that we were going to celebrate Christmas, and I was up that Sunday, I, I wanted to be at my best, I decided to call the doctor. So I did. Uh, unfortunately, they were not able to take me until later on in the afternoon, so I set up an appointment for 1 or 2 o'clock uh, in the afternoon, popped a couple of Tylenol, 
and pretty much forgot about it. An hour or two later, I was feeling fine, completely normal, so I decided to call the doctor back and cancel the appointment. And Teresa got wind of it and she goes, no, don't do that. I want you to keep the appointment. And she goes, you know, maybe after the doctor's appointment we could do some running around and then get something to eat. And from my perspective, <laughs> it didn't make much sense to go to the doctor. I mean, I was normal, I felt normal. But if you can believe it, I decided to go to the doctor anyway, at her urging. So, went to the doctor, I was uh, looked at by my primary care physician, the one who's been checking me out for the last 20 years, and he put me through a lot of paces, he took blood, he uh, ran me through some tests, and couldn't find anything wrong with me. So he kept me in the office for quite a while, I was getting a little antsy, he came back into the examination room after a pause, and he said, tell me again, what were you experiencing this morning? And I'm like, are you kidding me? Totally frustrated, I gave it to him one more time. He said, well, I want to take another test. And I said, what kind of a test? He said, I'm going to take an EKG. I said, Doc, isn't the EKG for the heart? He said, yeah, that's a heart test. I said, well, you know what? Let's skip that one, because I don't need to have a heart test. My heart is fine. I don't have any chest pain. I'm not lightheaded, there's no sweats, you know, I, I, I've been exercising, I've got my weight under control, my diet is good, I don't need the EKG. He goes, I, I agree with you, but humor me and let's take the test. So this gal strapped me up, 11 wires to be exact, they took the test, and just a few minutes after they took the test, the doctor came back in the room and looked like he had just seen a ghost. He said to me, I hate to tell you this, but you're an AFib. And I said, what in the world is AFib? I had never heard that term before. He says, well, your heart right now is pounding at about 180 beats per minute, and it's out of control, and I have a good estimation that it's probably been that way for a while. It's serious, you're in danger, you need to go directly to the ER. He says, in fact, if you are not willing to have your wife drive you to the emergency room right now, you can't even go home, I'm calling 911. So Trace drove me to the hospital, went to Troy Roma, and all the way over to, uh, on our way to the hospital, I'm thinking the doctor's wrong, it's got to be some kind of a mistake. My heart feels fine, I don't feel anything, any problem. Well, it was no mistake. And when I got to the ER, not only did they confirm that I was an AFib, but the attending cardiologist, actually admitted me. I became a patient <laughs> in the hospital. And I said, Doc, you better do something quickly because I only have today. <laughs> Tomorrow I have to prep for a sermon. On Sunday's the big day. You gotta get me out of here. He goes, well, make other plans because you're gonna be here the entire weekend. And that night, after everyone left, and I was lying in that hospital bed all by myself, you talk about stormy weather. This felt like an earthquake. And there was so much shaking going on in my heart. Within a few short hours, my whole world had been turned upside down. See, that was, that's what happens during an earthquake. A sudden and violent shaking of the ground, the ground that you're standing on. And sometimes those tremors can be 
nearly unnoticeable, and at other times, they can be violent enough to disrupt every single thing about your life. Now, after never being sick at all, other than the common cold or the flu or sore throat, something like that that would last a day or two, after living my life with very little sickness, I find myself a full-blown heart patient. And I was in the hospital for five days, count five days. That's how long it took for them to put my heart back in sinus rhythm, and they tried everything. But finally, when they couldn't get my heart back in rhythm, they decided to give me a cardioversion, which means they shot me with electricity. So they gave me the cardioversion, discharged me, and sent me home. Uh, within a week, in fact, the day before Christmas Eve, I went back into AFib and had to go back to the hospital and get shocked again. Over the next 18 months, I was cardioverted or shocked with electricity a minimum of 10 more times. Thankfully, in 2012, my cardiologist was able to get my medication plan under control and uh, I was on a successful uh, plan. And so for the next six years, I stayed in rhythm. During those six years, if I went into AFib, the medication controlled my heart rate and I was able to, after a day or two, go back into uh, sinus rhythm on my own. But then in April of this year, I went back into AFib after six years of being pretty healthy. I went back into AFib in April and it wouldn't go out of AFib. So I had to go back to the hospital, relive that nightmare. I was cardioverted in April. And then my heart just kept acting up. And over the next three months, I was cardioverted four times, four times in three months. Not a fun way to live. So now with my back against the wall, I'm faced with having to go through a pretty risky heart catheterization procedure. And the reason it's so risky for me is because I have a severe factor eight deficiency. That's a blood problem, which prevents me from going on blood thinners. And the only way that a cardiologist will do a heart catheterization procedure of any kind is with blood thinners. And so now I have to make the choice of whether or not I'm going to go through this procedure and put myself at risk and you wouldn't believe what they made me sign off on. And all during the time that I'm thinking about this and praying about whether or not I should have this procedure, I'm saying, I'm crying out to God, I'm saying, Lord, I know you can heal me. This is not a big deal for you, you only have to say the word. I know you can change the situation. I just need a tiny little touch on the top of my heart. And if you tell the heart to beat right, it has to obey your voice. Lord, I know that. But if you're asking me to take my trust to a new level, if that's what you want from me, if you're asking me to surrender this part of my life to you, I'll do it. And I will put my life in your hands and in the hands of the cardiologist. And so back in August, I made the announcement to you on a Sunday morning and told you I was going into the hospital to get this procedure. And by the grace of God, I have fully recovered and I have been in sinus rhythm since that procedure.
God's goodness and His mercy sustained me, and I survived that wave of the storm or that tremor of the earthquake. Now, I'll be the first one to admit I don't have a handle on the storm doctrine. I don't know everything there is to know from a spiritual standpoint when it comes to storms. There are some people that will lead you to believe that they have all the answers. I'm not one of them. In fact, from my perspective, there's a lot of controversy surrounding this issue. Like, why does God send the storm in the first place? Why does he create the storm? And if God is not the author of the storm, then why does he allow the winds of the storm to blow in our lives? I'm sorry, those are difficult questions I don't have answers for. I wish I did. But what I can communicate to you quite vividly is my own personal experience through the physical health storm that I went through. And this morning, just before we received communion, I want to try to explain to you or communicate to you three lessons that I learned. Three experiences or three lessons that I learned during this rather severe storm, this earthquake that I have been through the last few months and years of my life. And again, this is my own story. This is from my perspective. I'm describing to you what happened in my life. So let me give you the three lessons that I learned. I'll give them all to you at once and then we'll go back quickly and take a look at it one at a time. Here they are. Lesson number one, humility. Number two, heart for others. Number three, hand in hand with God. Humility, having a heart for others, and learning how to walk hand in hand with God. All right, number one, humility. A verse of scripture that you probably should memorize if you haven't already, one that you have heard me quote hundreds of times, literally, no exaggeration, is James chapter 4 and verse 6. James 4, 6 says that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. How many of you would be willing to admit that you absolutely need the grace of God in your life? Should be every one of us. We all need God's grace. In fact, you can't do any better than the favor, the blessing, and the grace of God. And among everything else that God has given to us, all of the things that we have, the many blessings that we have, at the very top of the list should be the grace of God. Your prayer every morning, every evening, all through the day should be, Lord, give me grace. I need grace after grace after grace, and even more grace when you give me grace. Now, can anybody tell me the number one way to obtain grace? Humility. That's why I gave you James 4, 6 to begin with. He gives grace to the humble. Say that. Grace to the humble. The number one way in the kingdom of God to obtain grace, to receive grace from God, is through humility. And this is an extremely big deal with God. In fact, with salvation, which is a free gift from God, it requires humility. Salvation, which is a free gift, requires humility. You have to be willing to humble yourself, repent of your sins, and reach out to God. Humility is a prerequisite of salvation. Now, this world in which we live, it does not promote or encourage humility at all. In fact, the opposite. And as Christians, if we're going to be proactive, and if we're going to be careful 
about this whole issue of humility, then we're going to have to go after God for it. We're going to have to ask God to give it to us. Because if we don't, it's going to be very easy for us to fall into the trap of arrogance, which is the opposite of humility. To become self-centered, self-absorbed, self-righteous, and self-sufficient. These are all attributes of arrogance. And so if we're not careful, this is what's going to happen to us, because it's all around us. And so if we're going to grow and increase in this one area of our life, this one dimension or characteristic of humility, then we're going to have to give the Holy Spirit permission to put us through humility paces. Do you know what that means? Opportunities where you can be humble. Not fun. You don't want to pray that. It'll happen, but you want to give God permission to do that in your life. Now, I mentioned to you earlier that prior to 2010, when I first went into AFib, as a 56-year-old man, I was extremely healthy. I was not on any medications, no prescriptions at all. Every time I went to get a physical, a physical exam, my numbers came back in the normal range. My cholesterol, my blood pressure. Even though I love to eat, and some of you witnessed that, I had my weight under control. And I thank the Lord that I was healthy. I was careful to do that. But even though I knew that my good health was a part of God's blessing for my life, any idea deep down inside where I gave the credit to that kind of excellent health? Any idea who I gave that credit to? I gave it to myself. I took the credit for it. And I got Lifted up in pride. Not something I was consciously aware of. I, I wouldn't have admitted it, but it was in there. I mean, after all, when I came home from a, a hard day and I was exhausted and felt like plopping down in front of the TV and just laying on the couch for the rest of the night, now I would get myself to my home gym or I would go for a walk or I would get on the treadmill. I exercise three, four times a week. And when I felt like having that second helping and wanted it so desperately, I would push the plate away. And when everybody else was pigging out on cake and ice cream and donuts, cookies, <laughs> most of the time, not all the time, I said, so deep down inside, I took the credit. Friend, that's not humility. Not even close. Now, I don't want anyone to misunderstand or misquote me by telling you that I'm not saying that God hit me with sickness or with bad health so that he could deal with my pride. I'm not saying that at all because that's not how God operates. But what I am saying is sometimes we're blinded by our own arrogance and our own pride and our own weakness and it takes a scary storm to open our eyes. It takes a raging storm to get our attention 
and cause us to stop for a minute and take a look at ourselves and to realize the only reason we have anything that is good is because of God. Amen. The scripture says every good and perfect gift we have comes from the Father. Not 90% of what we have, not 95%. Every gift we have comes from God. And so if you have discipline, if you have the ability to go get a workout in, if you can learn and, and have a good mind and you're brilliant and smart and educated, if you have any advantage over anyone else around you, it's because God gave that to you. It's because God impressed that you. And when you understand that and you realize it, and you identify it, that's humility. It's giving God the credit for anything good that happens to you. Okay, the second lesson I learned in the storm is to have a heart for others. Say that. To have a heart for others. To have a heart for others. To actually develop more compassion for people who are going through tests and trials. You know, I've been to the hospital countless times to visit sick people. I don't do it because I have to. I actually enjoy doing it because I know what a blessing it is, not only for the people I'm visiting, but also for myself. I don't mind at all coming to see you or to pray for you or visit you when you're sick. And as much as I would say or think that I have compassion for others, compassion for the hurting, compassion for those who are in pain, I never realized what it was like to lay sick in a hospital bed and be at the mercy of others until it happened to me. I just didn't realize it. Now this last time that I was in the hospital for four days, I had a wonderful care team. I mean, they hooked me up. I had good doctors, nurses, good assistants. They were all very professional. <laughs> But friend, it is embarrassing, scratch that, it is downright humiliating when you have to be in the hospital and throw modesty to the wind, and you have to depend upon somebody else to dress you, or take you to the bathroom, or wash you. That's not fun. Now, for three weeks after I had the procedure, I was on blood thinners. I mentioned to you I couldn't go on blood thinners because of my blood problem. So in order for me to go on the blood thinners, I had to agree to have factor eight injections. We did that for three weeks. I had to go to the Royal Beaumont Infusion Center on seven different occasions and sit there in a packed infusion room with hundreds of other patients who were all getting infusions. During that three week period of time, between the infusions, the blood tests, and the lab work, they poked me 25 times, a minimum of 25 times in my arms. The last couple of days, they couldn't even find places that were new. I went through that for three weeks. There's some people there that this is their life. <coughs> they are always there. Some of them have pick lines and medication ports. 
And some of them have to face their storms on their own. I'm convinced one of the reasons why we encounter storms is to become more mindful of others who are struggling. Sometimes we just don't think about it. Not like we don't care. It's not like we're not moved by it. It's just because of our busyness and the things that we're involved in, we get distracted. And we don't realize the pain that other people are going through. Sometimes we forget that the blessing of good health that God gives to us is not for us only. It's to be shared with those who need it. Those who are broken, those who are troubled, those who are desperately needing just a little bit of comfort. And I marvel every time I go see someone who's hurting and they just want a little hope. They just want a little compassion, a little comfort. And when we're in good health and somebody's not, we can offer that to them. 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 through 4 says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. God comforts all of us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are in trouble, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given to us. You see, the storms sometimes, the, the storms that we go through, the storms that God uses in our life, they increase our compassion. Compassion for other people. And listen, please. Authentic compassion gives us credibility with people in crisis. I'll say that again. Authentic compassion that we have because God has produced that in us through our own storms. It gives us credibility with people in crisis, a credibility we would never have if we didn't experience a fierce storm of our own. So number one, when we go through the storms of life, we can learn a little more about ourselves and walk in humility. Number two, we can have a heart for other people and just speak more about others who are struggling. And finally, the third lesson that we can learn when we encounter storms is how to put our hand in God's hand. How to walk hand in hand with God. Another way to say that is surrender. Surrendering to God. Actually reaching out to God and reaching for God and saying to Him, I need you. Which none of us like to admit. We hate to be needy as a matter of fact. And it is very difficult for you to put your hand in God's hand when you think that your own hand is sufficient enough. When you try to work out all your problems on your own. When you never ever grace God enough to say, God, I need a little help from you. I need a little something from you. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I was on a, a walk with Gio, my three-year-old my three grandson. You know, a little blonde kid you see by <laughs> He wanted to cross the street. So I took him by the hand. I said, if we're crossing the street, you got to hold my hand. Well, he didn't want to hold my hand. He, he said, I don't need to hold your hand. I'm a big boy now. I can cross the street on my own. So I grabbed his hand, and he shook loose. And I grabbed his hand again. He shook loose again. We fought that way all the way across the street. Well, we got on the other side of the street, we're walking along, maybe got a house or two past the street, and 
a German shepherd from within a fenced yard and, and, and came running around the house and he just was barking uh, really loud. Jill got scared. He grabbed my hand. And now he grabbed my hand and wanted me to pick him up and protect him. <laughs> you know, storms make us more sensitive to God's presence. Storms cause us to be vulnerable and we're willing to say, I need help. Storms help us to reach out for God's hand. And when you do that, when you legitimately and genuinely say, God, I need you, I promise you, God will always reach back. He will always be there. Isaiah chapter 41 and verse 10 says, don't be afraid for I am with you. Don't be discouraged for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold your hand up with my victorious right hand. Some of you haven't turned to God in time of need in a long time because you've been trying to solve all your problems on your own. Somebody somewhere told you that that's the only way to make it, the only way to prove to yourself that you're strong, that you have what it takes, is to walk through your storms all by yourself and take care of all your problems. I'm gonna tell you, when you reach out for God during a storm, during a tough time, you're gonna see a side of God you've never seen before. And it's gonna be good. It's gonna help you in the future. You know, in the Mark story that we looked at earlier where the disciples found themselves right in the middle of a fierce storm. You know what they tried to do first? There's other passages, parallel passages that tell us they tried to solve that problem on their own. They probably bailed water. They probably did everything they knew to do as fishermen. But guess what? It didn't work. Finally, they woke Jesus up and they reached out to Jesus. And you remember what happened? When Jesus said, peace be still, these guys, they looked around and they said, who is this man that even the wind and the waves obey him. They thought they knew Jesus. They thought they knew everything about him, but now they saw a side of him they never saw before. When you're willing to admit your vulnerability before the Lord, he will show you some things. He'll open your eyes. And so during the storm, understand, we all face them, we all go through them, and God is always with us. Let's bow our heads and prepare for communion. Father, this morning we thank you. We thank you for being such a great God. We thank you that you're always with us. That's what you've said in your word time and time again. It doesn't matter which book, which testament, who the author was, who the writer was. We find it from Genesis all the way to Revelation, everywhere in between. Lord, you just don't turn your back on us. You're always with us. And Lord, there's been so much conversation already this morning about the anticipation of you doing something unique and something powerful in our lives. And so I, I just want to pray that one. I don't expect a sermon to change situations. I don't expect the words that we put together 
that form of speech to do much good for anyone. The Lord is the anointing of the Holy Spirit. It's the moving of the divine power of God, the miraculous that touches our hearts and touches our lives. I don't know why it is that we're reluctant to admit when we go through storms. We don't want to appear weak, I guess. We don't want to give the impression to other people that we can't handle our lives. But Lord, I know we have a shadow of doubt. There is more storm activity in this place than we could possibly imagine. Some people right now, they're going through earthquakes and the tremors just keep coming, one wave right after the other. So we're gonna cry out to you today, Lord. We're gonna reach out to you during this communion service and we're gonna ask you to touch your people in a supernatural way. Because you are still the God who gives us peace during the storms of life. You are still the God who can quiet the wind and the waves and cause us to say, who is this God that we serve? Lord, I pray that you would be with each and every one of us as we receive this communion together. Scripture says it was on the night that Jesus was betrayed that he took bread. And after giving thanks, he broke the bread, gave it to his disciples and said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Then after supper was ended, Jesus took the cup. Again, he gave thanks. He passed the cup to his disciples and said, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you declare the Lord's death that he comes. Let me repeat that last line. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you declare the Lord's death that he comes. Now, some of you have been are here, you, you, you've been through hundreds and hundreds of communion services. You know what's coming. You know what we're going to ask you to do. But Jesus said, every single time you come to the communion table, whenever you hold the communion cup and bread in your hand, I want you to remember my death on the cross. Rather than just go through the motions of another communion time, I want you to think about what happened on that occasion. Think about the cross. Remember the sacrifice I made. Because Jesus said, as brutal and bloody as that cross is, it reveals my overwhelming, unconditional love for you. I didn't just die for the sins of the world. I died for your sins. It's a personal sacrifice that Jesus made. He said, every time you come to the community, I want you to remember that. I love you so much, I died for you. I have the same love for you today. And then Jesus said, I also want you to remember that when I died on the cross, I broke open all of the partitions and all of the obstacles that were standing between you and God. I completely eliminated them. I completely tore open all of the separation between us and God. And that particular activity is recorded in the Gospel of Matthew. The Bible tells us that on the instant, the moment that Jesus stopped breathing, when he hung his head and died, you'll remember this, the veil of the temple was torn to from top to bottom. The curtain was moved out of the way. 
signifying that we could now come before the presence of God. Because of the blood of Jesus, we now have access to the throne of God. The scripture says in Hebrews that we can come with a clear conscience. We can approach the throne of God with a clear conscience. Do you have any idea how much of a blessing it is to come before our God, holy God, creator God, with a clear conscience? Do you know how many people fight that? How many Christians have cluttered consciences as they come before the Lord? Because of the blood, because of Jesus' death, one of the reasons why he wants us to remember his death every time we took communion, we can come with a clear conscience. You don't have to hang your head. You don't have to remember the failure that you had last week or last year. You don't have to come with guilt and condemnation and all of the other emotions that accompany us because we know sometimes we don't do what God wants us to do. We can believe and we can know because of Jesus' death on the cross, one of the reasons why he asks us to remember that God accepts us just the way we are. Let me say that again. God accepts us just the way we are. For those of you who have secret addictions, and if we're average, half of you, I always tell you we're better than average, but that's the statistics. You got secret problems nobody knows about, something going on in your life that you're keeping to yourself. Do you know how hard it is to have a clear conscience with God? Because of this, because of that cross, you can have a clear conscience. And you can know that God accepts you. That God embraces you as his child, just as you are right now. Asking us to turn to him. Asking us to confess our faults and our sins. And immediately a wave of forgiveness comes over. Here's the last thing I want you to hear me say before we take the bread and cup together. If you're going through a storm right now, or let me rephrase that, the storm that you're going through right now, it's not because God is mad. Not because God dislikes you. It's not because God doesn't care about you. Storms are a part of this life. And so instead of asking a bunch of questions that we can't find answers for, how about we just reach out to him? How about we look for his hand in the middle of the storm? Can we do that? How about we just admit our vulnerability and say, okay, God, I tried this on my own. I bailed water. I've been attempting to write this ship, I need it I surrender. You should have just closed your eyes, bowed your hands. Here's the prayer I want to pray. It's a bold one. But I have an example to follow. Because in your life right now, with the storm that you're going through and all of the earthquake activity and the raging and the winds and the ground shaking, 
I want to pray the same prayer that Jesus prayed in Mark chapter 4. Peace be still. Peace be still. I want your storm to come to an end. I'm going to ask God to bring your storm to an end. And that was a miraculous end to that storm. And so that's what I'm asking for. But in the meantime, I'm just asking you to reach out. In your own mind, I want you to see your hand reaching out to God's hand. Father, thank you. Thank you for being the Lord of our lives, regardless of what we go through. Thank you for the promise that you never leave us or forsake us. Lord, we will continue to repeat these verses of power, these statements that we have in the scripture that come right from your spirit, that remind us that you love us with an everlasting love. The cross represents your love. Jesus said, greater love has no man. It's not possible to have any greater love. You can't find a greater love than what we're celebrating right now. And so, Lord, I thank you for bringing a call to all the storm activity taking place among the people of God. But at the same time, an awareness of just how much you care about us and how willing you are to embrace our hand and to hold us up with your mighty right hand. Give us that faith, that faith Lord. Give us that trust in you. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Take the bread of God. Thanks again for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. For more messages like this and other resources, visit us online at cccsterling.org.